Next Chapter Podcast. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go. Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end With my man J.M. On the 500 Talking the 500 until the end Now to see things clear it's hard enough I know While you're waiting for We're just going to ease you into this episode, just like the way Jackson Brown eases you into the record. Almost like he's easing you into a nice, warm bath. That's how it starts, man. It's a beautiful album. Late for the Sky. That's the song. It's also the album title by Jackson Brown. 1974 it came out. It's also number 375 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adamias. What's up, Fleece Army? I'm in Ohio right now recording this many, many days prior to when it is released. We want to make sure we give you the best product possible. Hopefully nothing's happened. Hopefully voting rights in Georgia are still intact. Psych. Uh, it's not too far off. I hope you guys enjoyed the Bjork episode. I'm getting a lot of flack for uh, not enjoying the song. It's oh so quiet. Uh, you know, I told you guys, it's the karaoke version of it. But make sure you watch the podcast. There's two ways to do it. Each week, me and my guest, uh, we drop it on Wednesday on Patreon for the 500 Club members, paying five bucks or more a month. And uh, you can find that at patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. And if you can't afford it, because I know money is tight right now, which you should pay for the Patreon, because we've got this new show where comedians try to convince me to become a fan of a record that is not on the list. I did one with John Doerr. So, dude, support the show. And if you can't, Thursday, YouTube, it drops. Let's talk about JP. A little bit about JP. So I've said this a few times in the podcast. I've met Jackson Brown. Uh, my friend Tull introduced us. I saw him get an award at NAM. I've jammed with him at Tull's house. It's just a very calming individual and someone that even before I, I knew he was important. I just didn't know. Like I knew the hits. More or less what I'm trying to say is just that this is this is why I've been doing the podcast. And to everybody that, that shits on some of the reviews that we have on Apple that say, like, why is this guy in charge of this Rolling Stone podcast. First of all, Rolling Stone has nothing to do with this podcast other than their shitty list, right? I am just a conduit for all of you that haven't listened to these albums. We got Morty that's dropping the hits and the 411 and what's important. And my goal is to listen, comment, and hopefully be funny when it's time to be funny. And I found on the last two Jackson Brown records, it is hard to be funny because it hits the guest so much. It hit, it hit Judd Apatow with For Every Man. I mean, if you listen to the Bob Saget, Pretender one, he cried like 19 times. This one, 
Not only is it the best of the three records, I mean, I'm just telling you guys, I had so much fun talking to our guest today, the one and only Jeff Garland. If you don't know who the fuck he is, you're, uh, I don't even know, you're, you're, you're a spoogle. Remember when I used to say that all the time and people got mad at me? You are a spoogle because he is one of the creators and one of my favorite parts of one of the best TV shows on television right now, Curb Your Enthusiasm. We're gonna talk about that. He's on the Goldbergs. Wally, he's done so much. He is an incredibly funny comedian. He's got a great podcast called By The Way In Conversation with Jeff Garland. It's on Earwolf. And man, oh man, oh Shevitz, did I have a good time talking to this dude. We've been trying to get him on for a while. It didn't work out. And I want to give a big shout out to my good friend and photographer, Pamela Sisson. She set this up. We give her a shout out at the end. Follow her, Pamela.Sisson. I'm pretty sure is where you find her. But man, it's just, this is this is why I love doing this podcast, man. Because you get episodes like this. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500. Listen free on all platforms. And if you're listening on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and leave a review. If you can do that on any other one, do it too. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Go to my website, joshadammyers.com for all updates, all clips, all things Josh. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Tell us about what you like. Tell us to go fuck ourselves. Could give a shit. And follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, run by Crazy Evan. He's oh so crazy. He's in a marijuana vape smoke. Hazer. He's not lazy. I'm trying to think of other AZ words. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com, and that's where you'll find Morty's big breakdowns. That's where you'll find all the new music clips. And, so, you know, it's just fun. It's a good time. And this episode was a good time, too. So, ho! So, ho! With nothing left to say, but here we go. I'm going to do it in Jackson Brown. Like, here we go. With number 375. Out of 500. But late for the sky. But good old Jay Bizzle. What's up, Fleece Army? Before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Sunset Lake CBD. Now, you're probably going to hear a lot of people talking about their CBD products and how good they are. I 100% can stand behind Sunset Lake CBD. Not only are they a farmer-owned business, they they literally go from the farm right to your door. It started in Vermont as a dairy farm producing milk from Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and then they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And let me tell you about some of the incredible, incredible, incredible products they have. So they've got pre-rolls, which are great. Take them to go. They got flour. So if you want to get that smoky, smoky, toke, toke, it's all you. They have cigars, like blunts. So you get a little nicotine dibble. They've got tinctures, which I give to my dog, and my dog had a bad paw. It cured her paw injury. They have gummies that I have with me right now in Ohio because I will not fucking leave anywhere without them they are so delicious and so calming but they are so delicious that i want to eat multiple but i don't want to fall asleep so i only have one which i which i really should use is their cbd coffee because i should take a cbd gummy eat five or six and then drink some cbd coffee and i'll just feel uh wakey wakey trust me sunset lake cbd will save your life and it'll save you money by shipping high quality cbd products directly from their farm to your door so 
Go to sunsetlakecbd.com and use code JAM500. That's J-A-M-500 for 20% off all products. Once again, sunsetlakecbd.com. Use code JAM500 for 20% off all of your products. Trust me, I back them. Back to the pod. Jeff, we just need to cry because that's what Bob Saget did. For Bob us. cried three Constantly. times. What album? What was it, uh, Morty? No, it was, he just, she just it cried. Was fitting. He just, he, it was, it was fitting, singer. actually, right? Because it was the one he, where the death. I'm having, oh, I'm having my oatmeal while we do this. No, no I, I love well, it. Good, good okay. pace off, everybody. No. Get your new. Oh, okay. Right. For a second, Morty, I actually thought you were in Cantor's. I am. That's where I. This is where I broadcast from. Yeah. So let's just dive into it. Um, so, so Jeff, go ahead and tell me your your history with Jackson Brown and this record. Take me all the way back to the first time you heard him. Well, the first time I ever heard Jackson Brown was um, "Doctor My Eyes" on the radio as a single. The next time I got into Jackson was running on empty. I bought it at Gold Triangle in Plantation, Florida. The same day I bought someone who I think Jackson knows, Andrew Gold, All This in Heaven too. So I bought those two albums at Gold Triangle, I remember clearly. And running on empty was, I mean, I, I, I loved it. I listened to it That's over and over song. and over. Yeah. Then I did the Jackson dig. Then I listened to everything that I missed. I'm from Chicago. When I was a kid, I moved to um, South Florida. Um, I went to high school and college in South Florida, University of Miami. But my dream was always to move to L.A. And my favorite music, I had two types of music that were my favorite, still are with others. But at that time, it was uh, 70s R&B. Uh, some late 60s, but mostly 70s R&B, um, uh, and California rock. Nice. California rock. And to me, the quintessential California rock album is Late for the Sky. The album cover makes you think of, oh, that must be what California's like. You yeah. know, that that must be what, what it is. And the album completely you know it blew I, I you know look everyone says it but you know uh, really jackson all the way through running on empty and even by the way holdouts one of my favorite albums too um everything is great i love the pretender but this album late for the sky is something that cuts deep and by the way nobody was doing really what Jackson was doing, getting that deep into topics that, you know, uh, uh, looking into himself and looking at the world, what the world's becoming. Um, that's something that Jackson's always done, but this album marked a whole new level for him. No, you know, what's funny that you're saying that. Well, two things I want to mention is, is that I just love that getting into your car in the seventies, you're either listening to Jackson Brown or like, Always and forever. <laughs> no, I wasn't listening to. I mean, always and forever. Yeah, Heat Wave. No, I was more into 
uh, Trouble Man by by um, by Marvin, Marvin Gaye. Gaye. Yeah, oh, like I'm I'm more of a uh, uh, the the soundtrack to Superfly type. Yeah, dude. That doesn't mean I don't dig uh, uh, Heat Wave. Um, great they have some great songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my stuff was the deeper stuff, and that's the same with with um, rock and roll. Deeper, Jackson Brown. You want to go deeper, Jackson Brown. And that was my dream to come here. And I got to tell you, um, I I was going to surprise you with Jackson Brown today. He and I are friends. No way. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> I, I called him this morning. I did, I left him a message. We'll see. I have my phone in case long shot he calls. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> but one of my favorite, I mean, I have, I have lots of Jackson Brown memories because I saw, I used to see, and I used to go see him in concert. Yeah. All the time. 70s, 80s, Lawyers in Love tour. I mean, I love Jackson. And to become friendly with him, um, I met him at Largo. I did my podcast with him. Uh, we never aired it. Uh, we might now. I'll talk to him. But um, just because he didn't want to. He and Steven Soderbergh didn't want, uh, you know, uh, podcasts are, are, are so uh, respected now. And there was that period where I had respect, but the podcast didn't have respect. <laughs> so yeah. they'd be like, Stephen Soderbergh, what? No, 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 I can't. I know too many people with podcasts and they'll all want me on. So no, whatever. I didn't air it, but maybe, I, you know. How does it, let, me, let me ask you this. How does that blow your mind to know that when you were, you know, you're listening to well, his records and then one day you're friends with this guy? Yes. And I can call him for coffee. I mean that's um, insane. It's insane. insane. Yeah. But here's the here's the here's the one, and I have a lot of those where they're like, "Wow, Jackson Brown." This one was my favorite, and this has happened only one time like this. But he has come to see me perform numerous times, yeah. and I'm on stage at in the little room at the Improv, the Lab Theater, you know, mm -hmm. and doing my set. At a certain point, I look over at the bar and I go, "Jackson, hey Jeff." What are you doing here? I wanted to come see you. Uh, I, I saw that you were playing here. I wanted to come see you. And I, half the audience, because, you know, it's years later, half the audience uh, was like, wow. And the other half, who's Jackson Brown? And for that matter, they probably until that evening were, who's Jeff Garland? You know, it's, it's not, <laughs> you know, we live in such a, I mean, Jackson Brown knew what it was like to be a star. I have no yeah. idea. I have no idea what it was. I mean, I just lost my friend George Siegel this past week. We saw that, yeah. And we were doing a um, some promotion thing for, for Sony. And I remember standing with him. And it was like all these different, not booths, but things set up. And different buyers, international buyers to buy shows. And advertisers are walking around. And I turned to George. And everyone's there who has a Sony show. Breaking Bad, all of them. And I turned to George and I go, no one here will ever be as big a star as you were, ever. Because, you know, prior to, let's say, the 90s, but really now more than anything, it's so small. Who watches oh, yeah. the Goldbergs? Even Curb, which has a loyal, strong following. Diehard, it doesn't yeah. have a giant big following. You know, people thought that, um, what the hell's the name of that show? Um uh, the Sword and Sorcery show, HBO. I watched it. Game of Thrones. Uh, oh, Game of, Game Thrones. of Thrones. Thrones, yeah. 
When you look at the numbers, it's really not that many people who watch that show. Yet the media would have you think everybody's watching. No. Sure. So nobody knows who the fuck I am. Why are you even having me on your show? <laughs> I don't even know. And we're discussing we're one, of the, we're one of the people that, that watch Curb, dude. We're well, one of the diehard Curb. Because that's what you got, man. It's like the people that love that love Curb and love Game of Thrones and love Jackson yeah. Brown. It's like there's... The and I know that, Jackson Brown... diehards. Jackson Brown loves Curb. I know that. How can you not? It's yeah, it's. I mean, which it's just so funny well, because meeting Jackson, Jackson is the exact opposite of Larry David. You uh, know? He very much is. He's such a reserved, thoughtful. Yeah. Um, but Larry David is so kind. That's what people don't know. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I met I'm him at his office. Him. I was I was I was walking in for an audition in Santa Monica, and I'm like, well, got my notes show. in my hand. No, 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 not for your show. It was for something else. But there was like a casting office in that same uh, area. And as I'm walking in, uh, Larry's like walking next to me. I don't, I don't say anything to him, but I drop my my sides on the ground, and he actually picks them up and answers me. I go, "Thanks, man." He's like, "Got an audition?" I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, good luck." I'm like, "I don't think I'm gonna get it." He goes, "Yeah, you should go in with that attitude." That's perfect. <laughs> he walked in. He's the best. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Well, so so let me tell you this because this is our third record on the the 500 list uh, with Jackson Brown. We've done For Every Man. Uh, we did with Judd Apatow. We did The Pretender with Bob Saget, and oh, now okay. uh, this one with you. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, out of the three records we've done, this is the best one out of the three, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, the pretend both For Every Man and The Pretender have things that matter to me a lot. All of it. Yeah, but this album. This is this is this is something that touched me and moved me. Uh, I love every song on the record, and uh, it's like this is the one. To be honest with everybody, this is the one that made me a Jackson Brown fan. Like from this point on, now I'm like, oh, now I get it. Now I see why he's got so many albums on the on the list. I see why people talk about well, him. And as all a songwriter, I mean, I love his voice. Yeah, but as a songwriter, I mean, he can't be touched. I mean. I mean, uh, uh, Ray Davies, like there's like a, a handful of people that are just amazing songwriters. Obviously, McCartney and Lennon. 
George Harrison, for that matter. But, sure. but I mean, he's in he's in rarefied air. Uh, yeah. Jackson Brown. Um, I mean, really, I just he touches me. He touches you. That's yeah. amazing. All right, so all right, so let's let's get to this record, Morty. Go ahead and uh, give us a little ishka bibble. Okie dokie. Released on September 13th of 74 on Asylum Records and produced by Jackson and Al Schmidt. This is the third album by the American singer-songwriter. You already talked about how we've done it with Bob and Judd. So if you guys want to know more of the actual history, go back to those episodes. Listen to the episodes. They're great. They're incredible. Bob Saget cries. Judd Apatow humored us (laughs) because Jeremiah, my producer, brought 50 different recording devices into his office to make sure we didn't miss it. It's really good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so the quick refreshers, though, so everybody knows, Jackson was a teenage singer-songwriter in Los Angeles. People were uh, having hits with his songs. They made him, uh, he, he was a popular fixture on the new laid-back, mellow California rock scene with the Troubadour and everything. After his first two popular and mostly critically well-received albums, Jackson, with his girlfriend Phyllis Major and their infant son Ethan, moved back to his childhood family home in Highland Park, Los Angeles, called Sa- uh, Abby San Encino. It was, a re- it was a recreation of the California Mission, and it was built by his grandfather, Clyde Brown, and featured on the cover of the previous album. So now, while he had to add earlier songs to pad out that last album, for this one, he needed to write all new stuff. So these are all written in the miniature chapel area uh, of his family home with Ethan, baby Ethan, playing there. So Jackson felt like this was a big song cycle, sort of a life cycle that he felt was going on while he was writing this. Okay. Um, for that previous album, For Every Man, it cost way too much money and took way too much time. So Asylum Records owner David Geffen told him he had to do this one cheaper and quicker. So he, he put this one together in about a month and a half with his touring band. And this touring band is David Lindley on guitar and fiddle, Doug Haywood on bass, Jai no. Winding on keyboards, and Larry Zach on drums. And he I knew that had- was Larry Zach. I knew yeah, doesn't that. It? You, yeah, you could pick him Huge. unmistakable. I'm a part of the Zach attack. Come on, man. Yeah, I know unmistakably. that. So he also had his friends from the scene singing harmonies, and that includes Dan Fogelberg, Don Henley, Terry Reed, and J.D. Souther, names that will come up, that have come up and will come up all the time. Love There's Fogelberg. Only eight- yeah, dude, longer than. He's like, he's, the, uh, he's like the king of Yacht Rock, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. No, on, on, yeah. no. <laughs> I feel bad for for being grouped in with that, but another. No, no, I mean, uh, I I, I think the great uh, um, Dan Fogelbert album is Netherlands. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I haven't heard, but 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 I we we always get we get started. He had a big hit with that Christmas song. All Lang Syne. All Lang Syne. Yeah, yeah, and um, which is a sweet song, but it's it sort of got him known in a different way. Whereas earlier on, he was part of Jackson's group. You know. Yeah. Longer than oh, I like uh, that one. <laughs> they're all that's dude. I love that. Come on, you got a spit take out of Jeff, dude. I know. There, no there's, there's only eight songs. There's only eight songs on this record, and most of them are over five minutes. And the record still comes in at forty minutes long. But you know what's funny? Not to cut you off, but dude, this is why. This is when the long songs make sense because, and and listen, I know I'm going to piss some people off. Uh, Jeff, we did, we've done some Bob Dylan records. I've never really listened to Bob Dylan. I'm starting at the the later records, not the earlier ones. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of, it's just not the way to listen to Bob Dylan. And all of these stuff, like off Time Out of Mind and shit like that, every song is like eight minutes long. And you're like, dude, he could have cut this, you know, three minutes ago. And it's still a great song. 
but it's like when with something like this it was like i never felt this any songs were dragging or anything this just moved perfectly yep yeah just my opinion all right morty no it's great yeah i mean maybe you just need i'm to in agreement yeah. so Thank it's you. your opinion but i agree <laughs> yeah. and you. i might take it for my opinion <laughs> take so it. this Do one it. reached number 14 on the pop charts uh which is 30 places higher than the previous album and 40 places higher than his first album um, at the time, it was critically acclaimed as his most mature and conceptually complete album thus far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Jackson was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by Bruce Springsteen in 2004, uh, Springsteen said this was his masterpiece. So I believe even, that. Yeah, you guys are in good company. Yeah. And by the way, I think yeah. that um, those are the three names that you can put together of that era. Springsteen, Dylan, and Jackson Brown. That sure. to me, in terms of American songwriters. Oh, 100%. 100%. I'm a Billy Joel guy, but whatever. And coincidentally, how you got it. BJ's good. Oh, by the way, first off, please don't call him BJ. Okay, I won't. Ever that's, like, that's like, uh, uh, you know, oh, oh but anyhow, point being is, uh, yeah, don't do that. And not okay. even because of the BJ reference, just because, stop. Um, anyhow, um, Billy Joel... I agree is fantastic. See, I could discuss him for hours too. Turnstiles is my favorite of the oh, yeah. Bills. Oh yeah. Self-produced. Yeah. And so look, all of these people, but this one is so intimate. Oh no, I 100%. agree. And yeah, coincidentally, 100%. by the way, here's really interesting. Just this week, it was one of the 25 new titles inducted into the national recording registry of the library of Congress. Really? Just oh. this week, like a couple days ago, they just announced it. So since then, he's had 11 albums after this record. He sold over 18 million records in the U.S. alone. And he is our guest today. He's, I mean, he's our, he's our focal point today. And he's our, is he coming? Is it, wait, is this like a surprise? Yeah. Jeff, and did you get him? Uh, oh, my God. Oh, oh, I, I just want him to come out behind you eating a bowl of cereal, just yeah, like you. And he's like, yeah, great cornflakes he you got here. Oh, you're doing the podcast? Let me dive in. in. Satin bathrobe. All right, let's let's dive into this record because it really is perfect, and I kind of want to try to talk about every song if we can. All right, so it opens yes. with "Late for the Sky," and uh, Morty found this quote, and I really like it. Someone once told me that when going through a breakup, don't try to figure it out, and I don't think there's ever been a statement about a breakup more than that. I mean, you you want to know what you did, but at the most part, sometimes things just end when they're supposed to end. All right, Josh, you're younger than me, I yeah. believe. I am. Uh, yeah. I love you. Matter of fact, we went there. No, you're younger than me. And what you learn as you get older, that don't try and figure any of it out. Yeah. Just do. I, I'm a, one of the best things that I ever wrote. And I never like say, oh, what I wrote. And this is not hysterical by any means. But on Instagram, under my description, I was like, what do I write? And I wrote doing the best I can with the information I've been given. Yeah, dude. So when you break up with someone, someone you, you you have a breakup, do the best you can with the information you know and move on because sure. you will not figure it out. Uh, there's no way to figure it out. And that is uh, uh, whoever said that is completely right. Well, here's the thing. Jackson doesn't seem to heed that advice. So mm-hmm. about this title song, Jackson said it's about a moment when you realize that something has changed. It's over and you're late for wherever you're going to be next. He also said, I had this one phrase, late for the sky, and I wrote that whole song in order to say that one phrase at the end of it. 
Well, by the way, he does that in conversation. He has one phrase, and then he won't say anything else until he has something to support that one phrase. (laughs) Do you have an experience with that where he's just... I'm making a joke. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's like a Um, punchline that you have. Are you ready to go? (laughs) No, it just popped in my head. All right. Um, What I love about this song is, I mean, there's so much to love. I love the pre-choruses in this song, and and every song has a beautiful pre-chorus, and this one is, it does not disappoint. Uh, JT, play about four minutes in, bud. Thoughts on this song, Jeff? Melancholy. Very melancholy. It doesn't remind me of a breakup. It just, it's a melancholy moment in life for me, that that song. You know, Uh, I mean, he said, by the way, right there, what you played at the end when he said that he's he's feeling a feeling that's going to be gone, you know, and that is, that I've been there. Oh boy, yeah. Do you have any? What do you have any like ridiculous things you did during a breakup? Well, first off, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends. I had a few before I got married. Then when I got divorced, I didn't have girlfriends, but I had, I had a lot of. I don't know how even to say this. <laughs> Let's just say there was a lot of activity in my sure. home. Nice but but on the other side, there was a lot of uh, there was a few unrequited loves, and it's not as much breakups that send me spiraling. It's which they do. Don't get me wrong, but all the unrequited loves too. And if I could say something to myself, dude, shut the fuck up, dude. You're a dude. You know, yeah. I don't ever use the word dude, and I would call myself dude because I'm a. I think dude. Dude is the precursor to idiot. It's like, dude, (laughs) what the fuck are you doing? Dude, you know, dude is like disgust almost. Like, what the fuck? So I constantly made an ass of myself. Yeah, That would be the name of my album, Ass of Myself. (laughs) And it'd be a a song cycle where people would go, the same thing happens in every song. And I go, I know, I'm an idiot. Yeah, I know. He makes an ass of himself, but there's a lot of activity going on. There's a lot of activity. (laughs) I fucking love that, dude. Well, that's the only way. I don't know. Look. Susie Essman, who plays my wife on the Goldbergs, said to me, you need to sow your oats. You got to, you've never sowed your oats. You got to sow your oats. I completely agree. Morty, do you have any, uh, any other little stuff about this? Yeah, let's talk about an unrequited love getting out of control. You'll remember this from 76 from Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Uh, Uh, De Niro's watching Travis Bickle, his character, is watching uh, American Bandstand right after his first shooting, you know, at the liquor store. And this is playing over like the entire scene where De Niro's just sitting there with his gun watching the shoes on American Bandstand. And so this brought it into a lot of people's lives, you know, having it connected to this like psycho scene. What a complete you know? juxtaposition of image yeah. to music. I love that. I can, I'm surprised. Well, Martin, that- Martin Scorsese, there you go. A master at it, truly a master at it. 
I'm surprised he didn't put uh, Gimme Shelter by Rolling Stone. That's in every, it was in Kundun. Do you remember that? When the was it really Lama, No, of course not. No, okay. but I mean. By the, by, to be honest with you, when doesn't Gimme Shelter work? It works at everything. That's everything. why I use it. It's a perfect, I just it's watched the. Thing. It's a new theme of Curb is give me shelter and Larry and I walking in slow-mo. <laughs> All right, let's dive into Fountain of Sorrow. You hear like yeah. play, the, play the pre-chorus for this one, JT, because I love it. Fountain of sorrow, fountain of light. You've known that hollow sound of your own steps in flight. So this was reportedly written about Joni Mitchell after their relationship from a few years prior, which ended messily. Morty, why did you write messily? That's, that's <laughs> such the a, adverb. That's a word. It didn't. It didn't end. It didn't end cleanly. Uh, cleanly. All right. I'll take By that. the way, does any relationship that's worth its weight end clean? No. They really I mean, don't. You hear these myths? Like I'm very close with my ex-wife. Yeah, but but getting there was painful. I, I, me mostly on the receiving end, but nonetheless, very painful. And it's one of the most substantial relationships of my life. I mean, someone just can't be married to somebody. So I'm sure the two of them. How could I mean those? By the way, think about if they had a kid, the oh, songwriting wow. abilities Incredible. of that child. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right. So Jackson said this talks about disappointment, but in a forgiving way. And it acknowledges that people are always looking for something in each other that they may not find and says that not only is that okay, but what's more enduring is the goodwill and acceptance of each other's right to be on this search and to make your own choices. And that's one's longing or sorrow is part of your own search not a byproduct of somebody else's. I have two thoughts here right now. Hit me. Uh, number n- number uh, one, the, the, the phrase fountain of sorrow. When you're sitting at a desk or on a bed and you write that down, you're done. Like everything else, fountain of sorrow. Good night, nurse. That's like, that is perfection. And perfection. I forgot the second thing. <laughs> Well, this is a great song, but I want to ask you about A Fountain of Sorrow. So can you please tell me about when you first met Larry David and what was that like? Oh, um, I first met Larry. Oh, I met Larry. I was in my mid-20s, so he'd have to be in his 30s. Um, No, his 40s. Whatever. Who gives a fuck? Anyhow, um, Chicago. He came to Chicago to go to Comiskey Park before they tore it down. And I was a big fan of Larry's from Fridays. And he came to Catch a Rising Star in Chicago. I was performing that night and we hung out all night talking. And uh, I remember exactly what he was wearing. He was wearing a Chicago Blackhawks jacket which I believe he still has because we've discussed what he was wearing that night (laughs) and we got along great. Uh, Shortly thereafter, I moved to New York and I knew Larry in in New York. And whenever Larry played like catch in New York, for example, there was a buzz that he was on the schedule because you didn't know 
how he was going to react, meaning he uh -huh. literally, I saw him do this, go up on stage, look at the audience and go, no, nah, not tonight, and walk off. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that. It's I, why I saw it. It's 100% true. And then um, he came here for, um, for uh, Seinfeld, and we moved here, you know. And, um, uh, yeah, and we, we'd bump into each other, that type of thing. And then um, long after Seinfeld, I, I, had, I had worked with Dennis Leary and Jon Stewart on their HBO specials. And uh, we went on the road and stuff. And I thought it'd be really fun to do a special about the development of a special. And I told them my idea. And that was the hour pilot. I wasn't even going to be in it. I was just going to direct it. He yeah. said, no, don't direct it. Be a producer with me. And I need you to play my manager. Change my life. Change, oh, wow. change my life, you know. Um, and um, the, the amazing thing was we were auditioning actors for the, um, for the special. And there were scenes where he and I were both with the actors it seemed like he and I were a comedy team. We've been one for 30 years. That that I have to, I'm being completely sincere. Yeah. Our relationship as friends obviously has grown. He's one of my best friends. But in terms of what you see on the camera, there's certainly some natural growth, but all of that was there at the beginning. Boom. That chemistry, the relationship, it was there at the beginning. Yeah. And that's amazing to me. Well, no, you, I mean, you know, it as, as being a comic, there's, there's some comics that your, your comedy doesn't mesh with. And then there's right. somebody that immediately, like I'm on the road with big Jay Okerson. I've known him for six years and I feel like I've known him my whole life because once we start riffing, it's yeah. just, we can go back and forth. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hello out there! Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. I want to ask you this. Dude. I want to ask you this though. Like, why do you think the the world, uh, I you know, can connect with that sorrow and and that 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 comes from curb your enthusiasm? Like, why do you well, think the darkness so and the well, you know, everybody. There's two things. Everyone has the id that they'd like to do, which is what Larry's character does. That's the exaggeration that nobody knows is exaggerated is a lot of times he follows his id. And all he wants to do is get through the day with uh, dignity. 
to have to be to have a level of dignity, and it it fails him, and I fail him as his best friend and manager. It's just he wants to get through the so people watch this, and I think that a big reason I this is the first time I've I'm not even exaggerating. I've never analyzed it. I've never yeah. I don't like to because I. I, it takes away too much for me. Sure. But but I think that people have felt this way. And both, by the way, um, any side of the political side, uh, pe- people have felt this way. And so they it touches something in them. It touches something dark. It touches something warm. It's it touches them on a lot of levels. Well, that's what that's what comedy does, as opposed to the number of levels that comedy can hit you, you know, um, is remarkable. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more on that statement. It's just like, he's saying everything that I've always wanted to say to uh, that person. But, that but by the off. way, I am stopped by Trumpers. Uh, I am stopped by uh, the most liberal looking acting people. The amount of black people, the amount of Orthodox Jews, like who would think, that black people and Orthodox Jews would agree on something comedically, and they do. Yeah, it's right. It's it's kind of remarkable that way. I'm it's, honored to be part of it. I, I, yeah, and it's it's just it's fantastic. I mean, yeah, uh, it really is, Jeff. So I, I love you for it. I love uh, you thank for you. it. Thank All you. right, farther on. So after growing up with fantasies and dreams of what life and love can be, he's been hurt and disillusioned by how things really are. Yet, he still embraces the spirit of that hope and intends to pursue it as he moves forward. Um, That's 100% true. 100% 100 true. Yeah. Why do we all move forward even though our hearts are broken all the time? And without meaning to, we break other people's hearts. You know, it's it's just, it's boom, you know. Completely. All right. I really love the opening to this song. Uh, JT, play it real quick. In my early years, I hid my tears and passed my days alone. Drift on an ocean of loneliness, my dreams like nets were thrown. This just makes me think that Jackson Brown was just a hardened baby. Just he's like, in my early years, I hid my tears. I mean, he's like lifting weights like a convict, you know. But what cuts through all his songs is David Lindley. David Lindley, uh, that sound uh, cuts through in terms of here's Jackson saying the words and here am I with the feeling, the, just the feeling itself musically cutting through. It's amazing. Yeah. His tone on all the different instruments from a Telecaster, you know, uh, through all of it it's just remarkable remarkable i think these lines really encapsulate not just this song but the whole record uh to catch the love that i'd heard of in books and films and songs now there's a world of illusion and fantasy in the place where the real world belongs well what i feel happy for him is that he discovered this as a young man yeah i I didn't discover this until a few months ago (laughs) i'm not even making a joke I have uh, a great love and um, I had heard about it and it happened. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Morty, how old is Jackson Brown when he does this record? About 25. 25 years old. Yeah. Oh by my. the way, my son, uh, my older son, turned 25 three days ago. And the thought of him comprehending this album, let alone writing it, yeah. is unbelievable. <laughs> Dude, unbelievable. I mean, it was a mess at 25. I, I wasn't in yeah, touch we with all my were. I know. We all, by the way, saying. 25 is truly a boy. Oh, 100%. And, and, and when this this guy shows up so enlightened, wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, dude. This guy's no wonder he was a hardened child. He, he was dealing with it. He felt it. He felt the weight of the world right. at, at eight. Couldn't play with toys. And by the way, let's also add in here Jackson Brown's face. So handsome and sweet. Like yeah. a sweet, sweet face. I mean, I saw Jackson uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago at the Greek. And um, in the audience were all these women in their 60s who you look at them and you go still pretty gosh darn good looking but they were all swooning the whole they were swooning it was amazing to watch he's got like keanu reeves like face yes. shape so By the it's way, like yeah that's a great that's a great comparison in terms of the vibe yes yeah, yeah, that's I, I see it. And, and yeah. Keanu, I think Keanu's like 56 and he still looks like he's like 40 or like I 38. I know, no, it's, yep, that he does. Good looking guys, man. I, yeah, we have, but, but, have, but it's not good looking guys. Good looking guys, look at us. We're good looking guys. No, good looking, but yeah. the point being is it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a handsomeness, but it's more of a boyish warmth yeah. that comes across that that specifically for those two, which I don't know if anyone's compared them, but that's a great Thank comparison. You. Thank really you very much. This is, yeah. this is my, I'm very proud moment for me. You know yeah. who else I was going to throw in there? Johnny cool. Depp. But Johnny Depp has no. taken a hard right no. in his in his no, later No, but Johnny years. Depp always was mysterious. Yes, very. Keanu Reeves and Jackson Brown feel like they handed you their heart. Yes. Whereas, whereas, I mean, even in, in, in the John Wick movies, you feel that, like, I think he's a good actor, even very yeah. good. Uh, you wouldn't say he's a great actor, but he's a great movie star. And he's got this quality. And with Jackson, just this, this it, it comes out. And that's what, uh, you know. Uh, affects the ladies, and well, I'm, an ex- I'm an expert at what affects. Think the about ladies. this: you said, you said, you said, <laughs> I've had a lot of action, a lot, lot of activity, a <laughs> lot of activity. No, but but here's the thing: it's even even in John Wick, he's doing it all because somebody killed his dog. Initially, he's doing it for yeah, a dog. Yeah. It's like yes. like Jackson Brown with using plastics. You know what I it's mean? Why, it's why it's why John Wick two and three couldn't work because <laughs> you couldn't kill more animals. You could no god. The no. first one was so bold, and the and like. There's no arguing. Like once the animals killed yeah you're like get him get him john <laughs> get those russians yeah all right the late show uh this is about the difficulties with close relationships as well as the inadequ- inadequacy of words again then jackson sets up a hypothetical scenario with a lady he meets in a bar or somewhere like that where she's in her place and he's outside in his chevy maybe the one on the cover of the record uh, I love how this song feels like he's just talking to his buddy. That's the thing I love the most about this song. Uh, there's literally a part in it where he's trying to stress a point, uh, and when it comes back in from the solo. So here, go ahead and play that for me, JT.
It's like you're standing in the window of a house nobody lives in, and I'm sitting in a car across the way. There, do you hear him say look right before it? Yeah, that, it was very faint. I just love that. He's like, look, it's like you're standing in the window of a house nobody lives in. I'm sitting in a car across the way. You know what I mean? Maybe it's a, a model Chevrolet. I don't know. He's just talking to his friend, and it just feels so natural in this song lyrically thoughts well i think that his friend is david lindley sure that's sure. who i picture him talking to i mean the guy was and, just, and so just on certain songs the telecaster and i believe it's a telecaster comes through and then of course what i'm talking about where it slides through all these songs is the lap steel guitar and the lap steel guitar really to me as i look at this feels like the feelings coming out of Jackson. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. I want to talk about buddy talk. Uh, mm -hmm. So you were roommates with Conan O'Brien. Yes. And, and did either of you have any of any idea how well you'd both be doing eventually? Um, you know, I had a weird thing about me and, and Bob Odenkirk who's one of my oldest and best friends. And he's the reason that Conan and I, room together um Co bob loved that bob and i in chicago we really were like not embraced the way at a certain point we eventually were but and we would sit broke on the steps of second city or zanies which is down the block and wonder why no one was grooving to us we really held not held each other but we emotionally held each other in that way. Yeah. And so I enjoy, and his movie opens this weekend, I enjoy him more than anyone because we went through that. But the weird quality that I had, that Bob didn't have, he had it to a degree, uh, he, had it, he, had it, he has it more than most people. Conan definitely did not have it, which was, I'm a star and nobody knows it yet. I, really? That's my, well, that was my attitude. And even when I went on Conan's show early on, I always acted like, why is the audience giving me a standing ovation? It was, <laughs> I, I was convinced, as a matter of fact, to be really blunt, and we don't Please. need to get into this, I look at myself on some levels as a failure. Now, Conan, yes, don't. it's not worth analyzing. Okay. No, I get it. I, what, I, I, I get know, it. It's, I get um, completely get I, it. I really do. I swear. And, um, uh, um, whereas, you know, Conan, what he offered me then was the fact that he was the, one of the funniest people I'd ever met him, Amy Sedaris. At that point, it was, it was him and Amy Sedaris who yeah. were the two funniest people that I knew in the world. So I just thought, how can Conan not be super successful because he's funny at a level that I've not seen. Now, in his own mind, I don't think he thought I'm going to be a talk show host or a performer, even though in our apartment, we did a fake talk show. Uh, <laughs> it was it was when it was right after um, what's his name stopped doing his talk show, uh, Arsenio, and they were looking for a replacement. Or was it Joan Rivers? I don't remember. Point being is he would play George Takei and I would play as the host. It was called Wild Blue Yonder. And, and this is long before 
Conan was ever a talk show host. <laughs> and he would be do a, we, a show was called Wild Blue Yonder. And he had two guests every episode, myself as myself, and then myself as Adam West. And that was the show. <laughs> and we did it in our living room. And I'm talking about every day. And the day Conan moved out as George Takei, he shot himself in the head. Uh, <laughs> because I, as Jeff Garland, would mock he and Adam West for not making residuals. I would always, like, and so he killed himself. So for me, Conan didn't walk around. Look, I was the only one that was arrogant like that. It was yeah. really true. And by the way, if you weren't funny, get the fuck away from me. 100%. That's my attitude back then. Now I can be nice to anyone. But back then, <laughs> if you were taking up room in comedy and you weren't funny, get the fuck out. Get the out. fuck out. Yeah, get I still believe that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, there is a love. Well, funny people always know that because funny people know funny people. 100%. And then these other people you go. And by the way, there's also this premise that I love that I came into the past year and I heard it about Bill Parcells was talking about a football player. And he said, he just loves playing football. He doesn't give a shit about what football brings to him. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Do you want to do comedy or do you want to be a comedian? Yes. You know, I want to do comedy. And, right. and by the way, if you really do comedy, you're a comedian. But yeah. I, but we both know people that are at the comedy store at wherever, where it's all about being the jokes. It's the jokes. Comedian. It's about just, it's a, it's just, oh, there's, then there's the other people that are doing it just to get the other shit that's going to come from. Oh, it. that's, what, that's what I'm saying. And I it's mean, like, it's me, like, so, so, I mean, you don't go up at the comedy store uh, unless you love comedy yeah. or you want to get the attention. Like, it's either or. Dude, and I have no time for those people. COVID, I completely agree with you. COVID, in my opinion, has been the best thing ever for, for, for real comedians because it shows you, like, I'm performing on the side of a creek, on museum steps. I'm not getting paid. I just want to be funny. That's uh, all I want to do. And I love it more than I loved it well, when I first way, started doing it. For many years now, everybody loves a good creek show. Side of a creek. Where the fuck are you performing? That's such a funny. That's a funny image to perform at the side of a creek, and a a dead body floats through, and and your Netflix special turns into one of their true crime specials, right in the middle of it. I just loved what I really just got a, such a kick out of is hearing you just talk about the people that you were starting with Bob Odenkirk, Amy uh, Conan. I mean, yeah, Amy just, and I, it's genius. Very, yeah, 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 yeah. But it was like we gravitated to each other because we loved each other and we loved what each other we all were doing. Yeah, you know, uh, that's why it wasn't like, oh, that person's going to make it, and, you know. John Stewart and I were friends long before either of us anything, you know, and I thought this guy's great and funny and, and, uh, but, you know, I was the only one really walking around, maybe Dennis Leary <laughs> to some degree, but I was pretty much the only asshole walking around going, I'm going to be huge. I'm going to be really huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. yeah. But, but by the way, my number one thing was to be great. I, I had to be great. And I thought that being huge or whatever would come with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Dude, 
love it. I'm I'm eye to eye with you. Morty, you got anything about this? Yeah, uh, this is one of the most popular songs to Bruce Springsteen, clearly, because the car door slamming at the end of this was something that he mentioned in the induction of Jackson at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2004. Wait, they doesn't he sing right that? The end of the song. Doesn't he sing that in Thunder Road? That's how it opens. No, car door slams. Yeah, well, the the screen door slams. But yeah, ah, same fucking thing, dude. I know, I not, you cannot drive a screen door. You can yeah. drive it when the car door opens. Well, who are you, Josh? <laughs> who are you? I wanted that reaction. That's what okay. I needed. That was, right. Come on, come on, man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, it's about the joke, brother. It's about I, the joke. I, by the way, I want to apologize to your listeners. I know I'm a big yeller i know it and i'm Take sorry it. dude i love I'm it sorry. all right i uh, don't want to skirt over this one because it's the first upbeat song of the record uh the road in the sky uh great little rocker uses the title as metaphors for the conflict between concrete reality and idealistic fantasy and it's like all good driving songs and on the road books and movies jackson once again chooses to drive his chevy off into the distance toward a brighter tomorrow even if it's in his imagination. Um, yeah, let's listen to a piece of it. Go ahead, JT, play it. I'm just a little away from yesterday behind the wheel of a stolen Chevrolet. Gonna get a little higher, see if I can hop higher reality. So I like this because it breaks up the sorrow breaks up the heaviness of the record and now we're and now we're like okay jackson's he's feeling some other stuff too well by the way what's great about this song like songs like this so often are filler and it feels filler Mm -hmm. the reason this doesn't feel filler besides the great uh lyrics is the fact that you can hear them really enjoying themselves playing this song yeah they're having a great time and it comes through in the song which is so beautiful yeah porn satan drugs therapy it's not just the list of what i'm up to this weekend i'm comedian kiki anderson and those are just a handful of the taboo topics i've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast indecent the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table. Featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics, they all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Um, Morty, is there anything you want to add real quick? Well, yeah, there's also, like you were saying about this song, it could just blow right by you, but when you know the whole album, there's a mention of the biblical flood that happens later on the album. So it really, and the Chevrolet. So even in this one song, he goes back to starting to mention the Chevrolet again, which is on the cover of the album. And he mentions this biblical flood that we hear in a few more songs. So it really connects both sides of the record together, which I think is really. That is so funny because I did not even get anything. I mean, not saying I didn't get anything about the biblical flood, but it's just like, that's, that's some heavy shit in such an upbeat song. Do you know what I mean? It's like I just I, it's that's why that's why he's great. He, he yeah. hit it in there. Yeah. You think it's, it's about driving. All right, I want to get to this one. This is the one I yeah. want to get to. For a dancer. Yeah. So, I already knew about this one because when we did the Bob Saget uh the Pretender episode, he, he brought this up. We played it and I listened to it and I was like, "Wow, this is this is really good." But 
really being able to dig into it now, I I think this this song is is some of the greatest music I've heard since we started doing this podcast. Uh, and as Jackson said, I wrote this for a friend of mine who died in a fire, um, which actually is uh, kind of makes the opening line a little huh. So here, uh, JT, play the opening line. Keep a fire burning in your eyes. Pay attention to the open sky. You never know what will be coming down I don't remember losing track of you You were yeah, just, just a little keep a fire burning in your eye I mean, I mean, the guy died in a fire for Christ's sake I mean, you, you know, long. right or wrong? Am I wrong? Josh, you're never wrong. It's your podcast. Thank you very much. And that's the attitude you need to keep. It's, you said, even though you're completely wrong, you're never wrong. I'm never wrong. Uh, you know, the thing about this song for me is I heard this song on the radio a lot, even though it wasn't a hit. Uh, when I was younger, my family moved from Chicago to South Florida. There was a channel that was great for a number of years called Love 94. And it was strictly mellow rock. And they went, they played Racing in the Street by Springsteen a lot. And they played this song a lot. And then eventually they got into, you know, lame, mellow music, you know, soft, gentle, you know. Uh, but the real mellow rock, which I love deeply, uh, this song I heard over and over and over again. And, you know, I love lyrics. I love lyrics and I love listening to lyrics. But yeah. I also, this song, just as a feeling, just I was getting, when you started playing it, I was just, all right, I'm I there. saw you. Yeah, no, it's it's it just takes you there. It's just it's 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 like you're just it's like a good bowl of soup. It's just like mm. oh my god, it just feels comforting. Yeah, and you just yeah. feel like you're in good hands, and you trust that Jackson, not just musically but lyrically, is going to take you on a beautiful ride. Just where you, where you like a bowl of soup, like a bowl of soup. Good chicken and, soup. By the way, I have two soup stories quickly. One is uh, Dan Castaneda and I were at a diner many years before any of us were remotely successful. Dan Castaneda, Homer Simpson, oh, yeah. and Richard Kind is sitting on the opposite side of the booth in a in a diner in the Hotel Lincoln on Lincoln and Well Street uh, called Jeff's Laughing. That was the name of it, Jeff's Laughing. And Richard was eating soup. And <laughs> Dan and I just got caught up in watching Richard eat soup. It was just like, <laughs> I'd never seen, like I was just like, this is amazing. And then Dan would look at each other. And Richard didn't even notice that we're just watching him eat soup. Other soup story where we're where, where editing the um, first hour special of Curb and we're coming up with names and we're all, and my name was based on, that I gave, my contribution is based on something that Larry said. We were ordering food for lunch and uh, myself and the editor ordered soup. And uh, we said, Larry, you want soup? He goes, no, nah, soup's too distracting. 
I said, what do you mean? And he talked about it hitting your chin and the whole thing. And so when we came, we went for a name for the show, I said, soup is distracting before uh, uh, he said, uh, curb your enthusiasm. Oh, God, just wow. how that would have soup changed everything. Soup yeah, is distracting. Soup is distracting. Do you guys hear there's wow. a new season of Soup is Distracting? Oh, I love it. Oh, By the God. way, that would have brought me so much joy. <laughs> Um, I, I think this is the most beautiful song on the record. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. If I wanted to show how powerful Jackson Brown's music was to somebody that didn't know about it, I would give them this. Um, yeah. uh, it's a sad song. Um, you know, So he explained this. Uh, it's a sad song, but at the same time, it feels good to sort through that reality and touch base with it and, and then go on. And I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Morty, do you have anything? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... This was played at John Belushi's funeral in 1982. And Jackson actually performed this at Phil Hartman's uh, memorial service in 1998. So, yeah. Well, and uh, I forgot to add this line, Morty. I, so I, I'm sorry, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to drop this, but he said this is as much a rumiation of the end of one specific life as it is about the inevitable end of all individual lives as portrayed in the line in the end, there is one dance you'll do alone. I mean, that yeah. is, that's some heavy shit, dude. And by the way, w one of the things about Belushi that I don't know if you guys know, there was a short film that he made on SNL that was really, I mean, it's, it, every time I watch it, it gives me chills. It's basically Belushi being the last living, he's in a cemetery, the last living member of the not ready for primetime players. Uh, and of course he was the first one to go. To go yeah. um, but at the end he said, well, I lived out, lived them all because I'm a dancer and he danced around the graves. That's why the connection to four dance. Wow. Wow. Um, that, that's incredible. All right. Walking slow. So this is the first single. It's another bit of a rocker that really helps break up the heaviness uh, at the end of the record. And so we know Jackson moved his family back to his family home before writing these songs. So this sounds inspired by walking around the old neighborhood. Yet, even on that leisurely stroll, he's still pondering all the big questions in life. <laughs> instrument in it that I just can't put my finger on. Play it again from the top of 22 seconds. Wait, play. Everywhere right, stop I it. What is that? It's called a guica. A, a, a queef? What? A, gu a, guic a guica. It's, uh, it looks like a, you've seen it's like a fish. A lot of times they make them in the wood shape of a fish and they've got little slats on the top and they take a little stick and it goes it's like if you do it with a radiator or something. Oh, okay. Larry Zach, by the way, who you're yeah, a big exactly. fan of, that's who would have played this. And by the way, I've always been a member of the Zach Street team. I get out there, I put up signs everywhere just promoting him. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's talk about going home. I know you have some too. serious hometown pride for Chicago. Uh, yeah. So what are a few Jeff Garland approved things that everyone needs to do when they visit Chicago? Oh, boy. Well, just getting back to the song for one no, second. No, please, please. What I find fascinating about the song is 
He's going through the old neighborhood and seeing people. He has no idea who they are. Yeah. That's that I think is. And then so just thinking about things. And by the way, always poor Jackson, always thinking about death. Yeah, dude. <laughs> he's, this guy, he's got the weight of the world. All right, on now, him. Chicago, um, really, to me, Chicago is about walking. Uh, you walk down Michigan Avenue. I say take a walk all the way uh, uh, down Michigan Avenue to um, to the, the Bean and, um, you know, uh, Millennium Park and then go to the art museum. Like those types of things are, you can get a great appreciation. There's a million great pizza places, deep dish, a million great hot dogs, Wrigley Field. There's so many haunted, cool places. Uh, The lake is fantastic. Uh, But everything to me is about going for a delightful walk. I love that. I yeah. love that. Do you do you connect with all the other diehard uh, Chicago Cubs celebrities like Bill Murray and and uh, Eddie Vedder and uh, Well, you name it- two. Well, Eddie Eddie I've never met. Bill Murray I met. We've never fretted about the Cubs together. I, oh. I, mean, I he's an acquaintance. But yes, pretty much every other uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Vince Vaughn is on uh, curb uh, last year and this year. And Vince and I we can't we we shot something in Chicago that I don't know if we'll ever use, but basically we felt we were gypped because like you just mentioned, Bill Murray and Eddie Vedder, they got rings. Uh, Vince and I felt like, no, 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 we should have gotten rings too. hundred percent. And, uh, <laughs> and so we went back and we did like, a, like with, uh, Tom Borello, the three of us went oh, he's, there. He's, and, he's been and, on the show. He's a buddy. Yeah, yeah. And so we went back, we filmed this whole thing at opening day, I think three years ago or two, two years ago. And, um, part of it on the field, I, um, we're being interviewed by, uh, television station and the owner uh tom ricketts walks up and vince lost his shit because i immediately went into him as to why we didn't get rings he goes you didn't help back we're on a tv show and you're nailing him Uh, but it was that so yeah by the way there are a, a great group of us that yes talk about the cubs uh and and um and um, yeah, I mean, yeah, name a Cub fan outside of Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder is the most made fun of Cub fan. Is now, he? I, well, I understand that he's a lovely guy. I've never heard a bad word ever said about Eddie Vedder. I have never met him, but I feel like if I was on a um, you know Jeopardy episode that was all about the Cubs, I would basically. He'd have zero at the end or negative uh, that he's not. Uh, he, doesn't know. he doesn't know like, you know, he doesn't know like the rest of us know. Sure. He does love them. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I just feel like he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't even know the pain, you know, I can uh, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I when they won the World Series, I I cheered for them. I was just because I, I knew. was crying like a baby. Oh. My my dad had just died, and he didn't live to see it in oh. his lifetime, and it was so moving. I could have gone to Cleveland, but even mm. the Cubs in the World Series, I don't. Although I'm going in the fall to perform, but in general, I avoid Cleveland. 
<laughs> I'm in Ohio right now as we speak. Are you really? Yeah, I'm in I'm in Liberty some fucking place. I have no idea. We're doing the what are we doing? The funny bone. So that's why oh. it's this beautiful hotel room. Can oh, you tell? Okay. I, have a, I have a great view of a shitty I mini mall. I just thought that you just didn't have the budget to up your apartment. <laughs> By the way, I have to I have to say I, I was wrong. It's a guido. Like this whole thing, my whole time, the instrument is called a guido. Yeah, you, did, we, no, you, nobody would have known the difference. No, but just... I, but I, I oh no, the Aguido family is very <laughs> yes, serious about they it. They are. Their yeah. name, their factory is right next to the Martin factory. Yeah, you don't want. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to be on the wrong side of the Guidos. All right, the album ends with before the. I can say the name more. Deluge, Deluge. 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 Thank you. Deluge. Before the yeah. Deluge, an upbeat song uh, to end the record, but kind of because this post-apocalyptic song looks back on that prophetic flood that was on the horizon in the road and the sky. So Jackson always has a noted heaviness in his writings, despite being so young. And but by the way, never brought me down. No, not at all. Yes, That's melancholy. Great. Yes, melancholy. But it's not like, oh, he's so depressing. No, no. he's not. He's not at all. And he's got a fiddle solo in it. Uh, JT, play the fiddle solo. By the way, you don't hear a lot of fiddle solos in post-apocalyptic songs. No, no. But that was me. I played the fiddle. He brought me in for one day. I was dressed like Abe Lincoln. And I went in and I played the fiddle. And I said, you want a little post-apocalyptic twist? He said, nope. We're going to go with the deluge. deluge, And you just play what you feel. That's what I felt. Keep it upbeat, even though it's taking place during the Road Warrior. Who yes. gives a shit? What's yeah. upbeat? Great way to end the record. Uh, I think this album is perfect. Uh, Morty, hit us with the first fact. All right. The inspiration for the album's cover that reminds Jeff of Los Angeles, it actually comes from uh, the painting. You'll make fun of me for this, but it's L'Empire de Lumière by mm-hmm. the Belgian painter René Magritte. Uh, uh, great, yeah. created by photographer Bob, uh, Bob Seidemann after Jackson showed him the painting and asked for something like it. And in fact, on the back cover of it, the credit says, cover concept, Jackson Brown, if it's all Reet with Magritte. That's beautiful. Reet with Magritte. Yeah. That's like a, that's like a, uh, a fucking bumper sticker. By the way, I'm Reet with Magritte. Magritte, if any of your listeners are not familiar with him, he's something to dig, man. He is so, his work is just, was, was beautiful. Is beautiful. Really? Still. Yeah. You've Magritte. Yeah, I actually, a number of years ago, LACMA had a whole Magritte show, and it was very moving. Um, yeah. yeah. He's the surrealist. You've seen him. It's like... It's oh, yeah, they'll recognize his work, yeah. and they'll recognize things that have been influenced by Magritte, but yeah. truly uh, wonderful. That's incredible. All right, uh, Morty, you got another one uh, about the cover? Yeah, so on the back cover of it, near the credits, uh, so basically it says lyrics available upon request from Warner Brothers and it gives the address. So what happened is David Geffen, uh, Jackson went to David Geffen and went, okay, so we're going to put the lyrics on the record, right? And Geffen goes, no. And he goes, yeah, but my fans want the lyrics and everything. He goes, they can write to the publisher. So obviously the publisher is not going to pay to send the lyrics to everybody that write in and say, please send me the lyrics to the Jackson Brown record. So out there, there's all these disappointed fans that wrote in and never got the lyrics to this album. Well, they never got them. They never got them. The publisher didn't know. They just put it on the album cover. They have nothing to do with the publisher. 
Geffen just said, yeah, just write, write to the publisher and get them. And the publishers, Warner Brothers says, we had no idea this was coming. We're not sending these people. It costs us a, a stamp and, a, and to write it. And the secretary has got to send it out. So they never got the lyrics. Geffen's like a billionaire. No, not then. I mean, he was, he was, that was, he was only a multi-millionaire. Then. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he multi, still dating multi's ahead of it. He's a multi-grain yeah. millionaire. I want to ask yeah. you this, Jeff, uh, because it kind of goes with this. When did you first get screwed in this business? Holy shit. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, my first year of comedy, I was booked for a show. I showed up. Nobody was there. They never told me that the show was canceled. Really? And it was like an hour from my house. I was 20 years old. And then I called up the guy and yelled at him, which, uh, if you know, nowadays I would have laughed. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, they, it, they it, forgot to tell me. So right there, boom. Uh, number of times that a club owner said to me, I know I told you 400, but it's got to be 200. You know, I many times. I mean, you just get screwed. But I got to tell you, comedy uh, movies, television, the music business has us beat by a country mile. Oh, More people get screwed sure. in music than any other aspect of show business. Music, 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 everyone. By the way, when I think of all those R&B artists that I dig, or eventually I got into the blues and jazz. So my, my things are blues and jazz, classic rock, and, um, and, um, uh, 70s R&B and I gotta tell you all those blues guys hey Chuck Berry would demanded to get paid in cash before he would go on stage a lot of those guys did yeah because they knew they were gonna get fucked if not yeah we just did uh TLC you remember that R&B group from like the 90s yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. biggest album big one of the biggest album of the 90s uh there's was it their first or their second record morty second of the album that has waterfalls on it the album yeah. that has waterfalls that comes yeah. out one of the biggest selling records of the year and they they all filed for bankruptcy that year biggest record well, hold on like, hold on hold on take a step back yeah are you sure it wasn't their fault they, no, well, they, they signed. They, had, they got screwed by their, but they got. Okay, then that's terrible. Yeah. That's yeah. terrible because yeah. you hear of bankruptcy. I have amongst artists where it's their own fault. Sure. Oh, how for sure. With, the, with athletes, you go, "What did you do with all the money?" <laughs> oh, hundred percent. No, they got paid fifty thousand dollars after it was all said and done for that record. And those people that are on the label and all that, they they're just. Wow. And by the way, it's worse now. It's worse now. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think if you get a million spins on Spotify. I love Spotify. Well, no, that's what they do to you. They Spotify you. But, you know, people want to blame Spotify, but it's the labels that still to this day, screw, 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 screw. Completely. We got to take the power back. Yeah. Wow. Self-release, produce yeah. your own shit, go direct to consumer. That's the one good thing about, about the technology now, even with podcasting, it's like you start a Patreon and you fucking like, we were with Spotify, Spotify didn't really do shit. And so we got the show back and now it's like, we can go direct to the consumer. Well, and it's and even by better the way, that way. The way the, that's the only positive about the new way of show business. Yeah. The fact that none of us are big. I'm being serious. I mean, none of us are big. I mean, even Jackson Brown in this world today, not big. 
you yeah. know, but, but yes, huge. Uh, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's so divided and so small that you can really go find your own audience. hundred percent. It's it's with the power is in the artist's hands. They just have to utilize uh, the technology and utilize you know, even though I hate social media, you got you got a way to connect with people. But, but and- it goes back to what we were saying earlier, which is you got to do it because you love it, because yes. it's not the same kind of rewards unless yeah. you're Selena Gomez. There's yeah. no big rewards, you yeah. know. No, completely. While touring the following years, though, he championed one of his good friends who was a struggling singer songwriter by playing several of his songs and even spelling his last name out to the audience by saying it's spelled Z-E-V-O-N. So he got David Geffen to sign him and he started Warren Zevon's career and produced his first two albums, which has Werewolves of London, Lawyers, Guns and Money, Accidentally Like a Martyr. You I know, need to he, listen to Desperados under the eaves. Well, Desperados under the eaves is is perfect in the way a Jackson Brown song is perfect. Yeah, uh, but uniquely Warren Zevon, uh, that's as beautiful a song as you can ever come up with. Uh, you, because I think you mentioned earlier. So you 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 do something with uh, with Warren Zevon, or not with Warren Zevon? No. He passed away. But no, didn't you say you do? You guys do a show together? Like, no, no, no. Uh, uh, Judd does a lot of stuff with the Warren Zevon family, um, but no, I just support. <laughs> That's all by buying the albums, buying the reissues, and going to the shows and donating and all yeah. all that shit. So uh, yes. So who was your champion then? Who was your Jackson Brown? Oh, you know, here's the thing I'll tell you. It's a general thing. Um, People in show business for me, you either remember people being really kind to you or really shitty to you. Everyone else kind of floats away. And the people who are shitty to you, they think when, when they come up to you after you're successful, they think that you don't remember. But the power is in treating them great because it's a power that you have to really be positive and kind, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, to these people that didn't give you, that were shitty to you. And then in terms of positive, I mean, obviously, Larry, uh, um, uh, um, uh, Harold Ramis uh, was a big, uh, Paul Mazursky, um, who Jackson, uh, friends with his daughter, saying when she passed away, brain cancer. Uh, Jackson was singing by her bed. I mean, oh, wow. he's remarkable. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had a number of people just so kind and helpful to me. Uh, many mentors. And by the way, I like passing it on. I am there oh, I, for any comedian. I, I know I've seen what you've done for uh, my good buddy, Matt Edgar. Oh, I, Matt you, Edgar. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, you, you, didn't you introduce him to his to his future wife? Yes, I introduced him to his future yeah. wife. But also, you know, the dude's working in the parking lot what, 10, 12 years ago, whatever it is, yeah. at the comedy store. And we started talking and I go, I got you, watch. And I took him on the road with me. I He's developed wonderfully, but he helped produce my last special. He helped me with putting it together. Yeah, I love that. I yeah. love to work with young comedians you know it's a very precarious time because some of these young comedians are very pretty 
you know, and young. And yeah. I make a point of telling them from the get-go, I will never make a move on you just so they can feel relaxed right away. Yeah. And we can focus on, you know, comedy, you know, because this is a time when, you know, it's really tough to be, for a man to be uh, helpful to a young woman. Yes, it is. It's, so you got to make sure that all the the eyes are dotted, dotted the, T's the T's are crossed, are crossed. Yeah, that dude. you're a gentleman and nothing could possibly happen. Couldn't By the way, that. that still doesn't stop things, not from happening, but from them saying something. I mean, we got to get our activity in somehow. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> sometimes. You By the be- way, my activity, <laughs> may I say, did not include any comedians. There uh, you go. Yeah. No, that was a matter of you can't do that. You just no. can't. No. It's just a different world, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't think any one actress. Yeah. All right. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong well, with that. Actress. Yes, actress. No, but I'm comics. also I'm a director and a producer and a writer. Yeah. There's danger behind every rock. It's just But you're human. But you're human. And no, still no, the, no, the okay. no, I like this. I prefer to say I am kind and thoughtful and I would never even think of doing something like dig that. Dig it. Dig it. All yeah. right. Uh, Morty, do you want to read the last one about the baby? Sure. Absolutely. So Jackson appears on, uh, he appears with his drooling baby son, Ethan, on the cover of Rolling Stone in 74. Yes, I remember during that the issue. writing of this. Yeah. During yeah. the writing of this album. So, yeah, so that was, you know, he's just- And by the way, Jackson Brown lived through a time where you're on the cover of Rolling Stone. It doesn't get bigger than that. Now now it's some pop star, or I remember they had the, the Boston Marathon bomber on the cover. What does it even mean anymore? This is why, you know, but Jackson Brown with his son and his son to have that, not memory because it was so little, but still, yeah. yeah, But still how cool for him to have that framed in his house. And uh, yeah, that's me with dad. (laughs) It's grueling. All right. So I want to ask you, when was your, I think I've made it moment. When Harold Ramis asked me for a favor. Wow. uh, We went to lunch and I, um, he wanted me to help to get a TV series that he wanted to do, put together. And um, uh, I was actually, yeah, and I always meet with him just to be around, met with him to be around him. And we were great friends and he was a mentor and I'd ask him about everything. So when we were at lunch one day in Chicago, he asked me for a favor. I actually left that uh, lunch and went, maybe I am successful. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that was, no, for sure. that was a big moment for me because, you know, I talked about it with um, John Stewart and um, we were both talking about, there isn't that moment of like, Hey, I've done it. You know, there isn't. So for me to even have a slight one like that one, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Huge yeah. deal. All right. Let's do some rapid fire questions. We'll get you out of here. Okay. All right. Favorite song on the record for a dancer. Okay, this is a weird one because this is a great record. What's what's your least favorite song on the record? Or it could just be the song that you might skip over. I don't have an answer. Don't have one. Okay. What song would you, you have activity to off this record? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, uh, it's not an activity kind of record unless you know that the woman loves Jackson Brown. Sure. So you got to pick yeah. one. What are you doing? It's very what, intimate. What do you, 
I'm up for a dancer. I'll go. Okay. <laughs> or Late for the Sky is just a either. Yeah, you can you can song. have activity to any song on this record. Any yeah, any song style of activity. You've no it depends idea. on the woman. For sure. For sure. And then last question, does this record deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list? And is it ranked accordingly? So it's at 375. Is it, so does it deserve to be on the list and is it ranked accordingly? Well, there's no doubt that it deserves to be on the list. And I think it is ranked accordingly because part of it's, it's beautiful on its own, but part of its history is when it came out and what was going on in the world at that time and that was a unique point of view and it yeah. was very bold and vulnerable but i think 375 is fine i mean how can you you know look is it is it better than rubber soul for what it did no but it's still amazingly beautiful yeah. and can be mentioned with rubber soul or an for album sure. such as that you know for um, sure. blonde on blonde probably blonde on blonde is the most uh is the album you could compare it to the most? Oh wow! Yeah. Um. All right, th dude. Uh, Jeff, this was so great. This was uh, so much fun to do. Anything you want to promote? Promote away. I want people to go to Pamela Sisson's uh, website and look at her photography. Yes, Pamela is, shoots our show. Uh, she's one of my near and dear friends. I love her to death. She's yeah, so that we go, sit down go and talk look at her. Go look at her. Um, uh, uh, web page. There's some pictures there. Uh, she took some stuff during the pandemic that was magnificent. 100%. Uh, I always go on talk shows, by the way, yeah. and promote movies that are coming out that week. <laughs> <laughs> and even sometimes horrible ones. I once went on a show and promoted an, uh, the ice cream place uh, Bennett's ice cream in the farmer's market. I did that on a national show. I said, when in LA? And they gave me, although I can't do it anymore, they gave me ice cream for life. Oh, yeah. that's so great. And I didn't do it for that. I did it because I thought it would be funny. And I was, to be honest. By the way, Jeff, I didn't tell you earlier, but I interviewed Eddie Vedder in the dugout in Cleveland, game seven, uh -huh. after they uh -huh. won. And he was speechless. It was the worst interview ever for radio. But, uh, well, but <laughs> think about, but the thing, anytime you've seen Eddie Vedder, he's not dynamic. He's a dynamic performer. You know, yeah. he really is a dynamic, amazing performer. But as a sort of bouncy interview, not a guy you want. Not bouncy. Yeah. No. no. I met him at Bonnaroo and, and I was wearing a John Wall jersey and we talked about basketball. And that was, that was, that was how I got him to talk. It was everything. But I've uh, only but heard also... the nicest things about him. Super nice guy. He is a Holocaust denier, so that's a little weird. But... <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if a guy came out, he goes, look, I, I really love everybody, but let's get over this Holocaust thing. It's, I mean, it's not, it never happened. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. bullshit All the museums, yeah. fake. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Morty, promote away, buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, DJ Morty Coyle. Now I'm on Clubhouse. I've seen Jeff tooling around there with our i do tool around i pop up every once in a while i just go there. i go that can't be really jeff he's only yeah. got like 50 followers like nobody yeah. knows he's on yeah but yeah I, um, uh, you'll find me on on there on all the social media follow b and daddy cartoons on instagram if you want to see me and my kids singing all the time and uh oh let's give a shout out to eric taylor pritt one of our one of our fleece army guys who is very vocal on twitter and always says how he loved each episode 
Hope you love this one just as much, dude. We so. love you, Eric. Yeah. Last week, last week, Morty gave a shout out to our one of our hottest fans. I think it was a little. <laughs> <laughs> You, yeah, know. But, you know, I just want to, you know, they deserve, sure. they deserve the Bennett's. Who, who, who is the hot fan? Blake, Blake Bardo. She's, yeah. she is. Blake gorgeous. Bardo. She's a cam model who's on here, but I, I, she's not the first person I gave it to. I just wanted to make sure that everybody that is, that really backs us up. All right, well, let me, uh, let me pull up my Instagram. <laughs> yeah, look her up right now. Yeah, she's a, uh, yeah. Let's get a little Blake Bardo. Get a little Blake Bardo. I'm an old man. But by the way, sometimes I go, I, you know, I, I see like pretty girls on there. And the minute I click yeah. to their page, I'm like, too young, too young. <laughs> and that will happen to all of you. Trust me, it will happen. It's it already right has. Now. I'm not yeah. that much younger. I'm not that much older than because it's really true where i go i'm clearly a pretty girl but no thank you uh tell your dad i said hi (laughs) (laughs) jt promote away bud jt underscore podcast exec and at nc podcasts i think i mentioned before we listened to the the rex chapman show did you check it out i haven't checked it out yet let's go back to what's the name again blake bardo (laughs) how do i spell it b-a-r-d-o-t-e I'm B R D uh, T. Blake is normal, like Blake Edwards, and then B A R D O T. She's not on Instagram. She's on Twitter. She's on. She's Twitter. on Twitter. Yeah, dude. Yeah, she's, she's very. Well, what good does Twitter. that do for anyone to <laughs> well, be she on? Goes online. She's <laughs> not on Twitter. Here I am. Like I don't go on Twitter. I'll have her. I'll have her make an Instagram page. No, 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 no! Don't ever do it. We'll invite her to Clubhouse, and then you cannot look at her and just listen to her. Oh. Does she have a lovely voice? We, I, don't I don't know. know. I've never. Asked I have a wonderful talk. girlfriend, by the way. Let me just say that to start everything. Um, but nonetheless, um, what old man doesn't like looking at pretty women? But my favorites now, can I say? Please. Women in their 40s and 50s. That's what I love looking at. Oh, my. Really? I just like yeah. asking people how old their parents are. That's all I do with girls. I go, how old's your dad? And I go, oh, he's a year younger than me. Well, by the way, you say that, Morty, but the truth is that's been happening to me for 20 years. Oh, yeah. And it is nuts (laughs) when you, by the way, I don't know how much, uh, never mind, I'm not going to get it. I do that. I'm 52 years old. I actually ask that question. Yeah, I actually ask that question. Oh, Blake Bardo is beautiful. I'm looking at her. I Googled. There you go. Oh, sure Blake Bardo. A lovely right. young lady. But by the way, I look at her also and I go, hi, young lady. Yes. <laughs> you're a young lady. <laughs> a young, you're a youngie. You're uh, a young lady. In the, yeah. All right. This is great, Jeff. Thank you so much, brother. My pleasure. Truly my pleasure. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Jeff Garland. Follow him on Instagram at Jeff Garland. Follow him on Twitter at the Jeff Garland. Listen to his podcast, by the way, in conversation with Jeff Garland. And for all things Jeff, go to his website, jeffgarland.com. Now, we just listened to Jackson Brown from... 1974 for new music pick this week it is the band Dawes we had Taylor from Dawes on the podcast I talked about a song that means the fucking world to me even though it came out in 2011 I feel like this song fits 
perfectly with the Jackson Brown record. The song is called My Way Back Home. This is one of my cry songs. I love this song to death. Dawes is an incredible band. They put out a shitload of different records. They have a brand new one out called Good Luck With Whatever. It's great, but this song means the world to me. And if you were in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, send your song to 500podcasts at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Roxy Music, W-E-E-K. And we're going to go deep into their 1975 record, Siren. Let me tell you guys something. All this talk about Brian Eno, I was like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm feeling him yet. I am fucking feeling him. Listen to the record. Do your homework. Stay fleecy. Doogle doogle. Oh, from the center of a stage From the words used in a love note Or from an empty page While I struggle with these beauties And my renditions end up I'm like a bird that crashes into the window That was drawn to the reflection of the sky
This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Hey, this is Scott from Fly on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or a band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com. Next Chapter Podcasts.